This is episode number 137 with Dr. Mark Hyman. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? This week's episode is brought to you by the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, also known as IIN. Now, I studied at IIN in 2011, and it honestly changed my life. No joke. Not only did it give me the tools that I was desiring to reclaim my health after experiencing burnout and ending up in hospital, now you can read more about that in my first book, Mastering Your Mean Girl, but it set me on my career path that I'm on now. It also lit the fire in my belly for helping others and being of service. And I went from an aspiring blogger to holistic health coach to speaker, best-selling author, and podcaster with a thriving seven-figure global business. And guess what? It all started with IIN. It paved the way for me, which is why I'm such an advocate for their program and why I'm one of their top ambassadors. And because I'm one of their top ambassadors, I get to offer you a special discount of $1,500 off your tuition. How cool is that? So whether you want to do this course for yourself so that you can arm yourself with all the knowledge that you need for you and your family to really thrive, or whether you're a yoga teacher, personal trainer, or health writer, and you want to add another tool to your toolkit, or whether you want an entirely new career as a certified holistic health coach, IIN is for you. To claim your $1,500 off your tuition, all you have to do is head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash IIN to find out more. Dr. Mark Hyman is a practicing family physician, an 11-time New York Times bestselling author, and an internationally recognized leader, speaker, educator, and advocate in the field of functional medicine. He is the director of the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine. He is the founder and director of the Ultra Wellness Center, chairman of the Institute for Functional Medicine, medical editor of the Huffington Post, and a regular medical contributor in the media for CBS This Morning, Good Morning America, CNN, The Dr. Oz Show, and many more. And in today's episode, we chat about how we got so confused about what to eat, why food matters even if you are skinny and don't have any health issues on the outside, why food is medicine and why you need to adopt this philosophy, the truth about meat, what is a pegan diet, the similarities between paleo and vegan diets, why you need to avoid gluten, dairy and sugar, 
the truth about cholesterol, the truth about dairy, whether we really need to eat all organic, what to eat on a day-to-day basis, plus so much more. This episode is jam-packed with goodness, and for everything that we mention in today's show, you can check out in the show notes, and that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 137. And before we dive into today's episode, I want to read the review of the week. And this comes from Kitty Cat 85 Music. And she says, thank you for your wonderful, inspiring and insightful interviews. You are helping to spread important messages to everyone about their health and bodies. You are truly making this world a better one. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kitty Cat. That is so beautiful. And reading my reviews every week is one of my favorite things to do. So thank you to everyone who's left a review. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, head on over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review now. And without further ado, let's bring on this health guru, the one and only Dr. Mark Hyman. Welcome, Mark. It is so great to have you on the show. But before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Actually, all I had was a bulletproof coffee. (laughs) Nice. That was it. I recently got back from three weeks in Greece with my family, and I realized how much of a little health bubble we live in. Now, at home, we eat all organic, and you could say that we're qualitarians, meaning that we source the best quality food that we can find, and we eat that. And to be honest, we rarely actually even eat out, and that's because we just know that we're getting the best when we're eating at home. But on this recent trip, I was observing the people around us at the restaurants that we were eating at, and I was observing them devour this entire bread basket before their food even came out. Then they would order more food than one person should consume in one sitting, followed by dessert and a couple of tall glasses of alcohol thrown in there for good measure. Sounds like a great prescription for sickness. Yeah, exactly. This got me thinking, right? Don't people know what the heck to eat? Like, surely, surely by now, Mark, surely, you know, unless you've been living under a rock, there is so much information out there on the internet and books, but this isn't how it is. Like, people really don't know. No. I personally just think, surely everyone knows this information, but clearly they don't, which is why you wrote your latest book, Food, What the Heck Should I Eat? And in this book, you try and answer these questions for everyone. And the book is based on the reality that most people have absolutely no idea what to eat for health and well-being. And most people are confused by conflicting nutritional research and different opinions and opposing dietary philosophies out there. So firstly, why are we so confused? How did we get so confused? Well, I I think the, the truth is that it's not by accident that we've been confused. There's a number of things that are happening that have to do with the food industry's undue influence on our food supply, our food policy, and our food itself. And you know, a number of things have happened. One, food industry has corrupted nutrition science to confuse the field and create 
confusion so that we don't have firm policies that declare extra this why bad. For example, soda industry funds studies through the American Beverage Association on soda. And guess what? It's not harmful. The Dairy Council funds studies on milk. Guess what? It's nature's superfood. Neither of those are true, but that's how the science gets confused. Also, they are strictly opposed to policies that would improve the education of consumers. For example, the dietary guidelines in the U.S., which are often influenced from the industry that corrupts the dietary guidelines process, again, telling us to drink three glasses of milk a day where there's no evidence for that, and ignores huge amounts of evidence to the contrary around various things like sugar and, and, and carbohydrates as a driver of obesity and disease. We also have food policies from the government that are controlled in part by the food industry, which has billions of dollars of lobby money. For example, just the farm bill alone, which governs you know, 80% of which is food stamps, which is food assistance to the poor, is half a billion dollars is spent on that farm bill by 600 lobbyists to shape the farm bill so that we don't cut benefits for soda. Why are we paying $7 billion a year for soda with food stamps? Why are we paying probably 70 to 80% of the food that's bought with food stamps is disease-producing food. Why do we then subsidize those disease-producing foods with our food policies that support commodity agriculture that grow corn, wheat, and soy that are turned into junk food? There's, there's all these conflicting policies. Why do we allow unrestricted food marketing to children where other countries have banned it? For example, Chile has removed all cartoon characters, has put front-of-label packaging warnings on the packages. So cereals have big warning boxes, warning labels on the cereals. Instead of showing it as a health food, it's a harmful food. The advertising, marketing on print, radio, TV, movie theaters for any junk food. So it's a whole fascinating level of, of infiltration of the food industry into our food policy that's really led us to have this really huge amount of confusion. And, and, and then, of course, you know, you've got, you know, media jumping in the fray by they don't report on studies properly. They don't report on conflicts of interest. They don't report on on the kind of nature of the study, whether it can prove cause and effect or not. And so they end up with a lot of information that's super conflicted and confusing. And it's, it's enough to make any consumer just go, I don't know what to do. Mm. And for a lot of people, they might think, well, why does food actually matter? Like if I don't have a health issue on the surface, as long as we are getting enough to stay healthy and stay in a healthy weight, as long as we enjoy the food we eat, does it really matter? Like I, I see a lot of people, they're like, oh, you know, it doesn't really matter. It won't hurt. But how important actually is the food? It's extremely important. I think most people think that if they're not fat, they're fine. <laughs> but there's a lot more to being healthy than being thin. In fact, there are many people who call skinny fat. They're fat on the inside and not on the outside or skinny fat. And that, that's a big issue because we, we have people who really are metabolically obese without necessarily having the problem of having the obesity, but metabolically they're sick. And, and it also can lead to autoimmune disease and gut issues and, and much, much more. Mm, I feel like unless you've been living under a rock, like shouldn't people know this by now? Not really. <laughs> I don't think so. I think people really don't have a clue about this because of the, what I suggested, which is that there's so much confusion in the space as it relates to the information we're getting. It's all conflicted. Mm. Now, you say food is medicine. What do you mean by that? Well, we you know, think of food as calories, right, which is essentially calories that will 
fuel our energy needs. But what we know is that food is so much more than that, that it's actually information, it's like instructions that is hugely powerful in driving our gene expression, our hormones, our immune system, our gut microbiome, pretty much everything that matters in our biology, our hormones, all driven by this incredible thing that we do every day, which is consume pounds of food. It's the most important thing we do every day to regulate our biology, our health, our well-being. And most people don't connect the dots between what they eat and how they feel. And think if they're only eating enough food, it's okay. But they don't realize that the quality of their energy, their brain function, they don't even know, for example, how actually it's affecting them because they've never changed their diet to eat a healthy way to change their brain chemistry, change their, their hormones and everything else. Mm. So what do we eat? What the heck do we eat? Like, I want everyone listening to walk away from this episode not more confused or overwhelmed or stressed out. Tell us, what do we eat? Well, I wrote a whole book called Food, What the Heck Should I Eat?, which is really about this. And I go through every category of food, whether it's meat, fish, poultry, whether it's vegetables, fruit, nuts and seeds, beans, grains. And I talk about what does the science show? What do we know? What do we don't know? What are we confused about? And, and from there, I, I kind of create a summary of what are the things in each area you should know. For example, if you're going to eat meat, does the science show that meat causes disease? And what is the quality of the science? And how do we know what we know? And is it reliable? And, and what is the contradictory science? Because if you listen to, you know, for example sort of vegan movies and so forth, it paints a pretty horrible picture of what's actually happening. And it's based on a lot of pretty crummy science or twisted science or cherry-picked science. And we know, for example, that, you know, as a species, we've been consuming meat for 8 million years. And, you know, this is what our bodies have designed to, to run on, but not what we're eating today, which is factory farm meat. So yes, we should not be eating factory farm meat. It's bad for the planet, bad for the environment, bad for, for our health. And Clearly, we can, we can make different choices about the quality. So what about climate change in animals? Well, it actually turns out that if you eat regenerative agriculture foods, which are grown a certain way to like feeding them grass, obviously, and, and also restoring soils and restoring water in the soils, that actually it's, it's better uh, even than eating vegetables because it can help restore the ecosystem and draw climate change down by drawing carbon in the soil and preventing droughts and floods through having be able to sort of retain water, which industrially farmed soil isn't. So there's, it's very nuanced. And I go through all those nuances, how do you eat food that's good for you, good for the planet, good for the environment, good for the animals, as just an example. But I go through that in each category. What are the vegetables we should be eating? Well, the most common vegetables are potatoes in the form of French fries, ketchup and tomato sauce, which is tomatoes, and then iceberg lettuce. And then we also have corn and onions, which are fine. But, you know, those are not the vegetables we should mostly be eating. And I think we need to sort of be able to discern quality in each area. And I love the term you use, qualitarian, because that's exactly what this is about. It's about how do you upgrade your food quality and what, what do you do to do that? Mm, it's so important. I really want to encourage everyone listening to stop buying this factory farm animal products. If we all just did it, it would make such a difference. It really would. Like for me, I've been yeah. eating pastured-raised yeah, pasture-raised animal products for years now, and it really does make such a difference, and it tastes different, and you know, you know that you're not contributing to all of these harmful environmental effects that you were talking about. 
But in terms of the paleo movement and the paleo community, they think that we should definitely be eating like our ancestors and avoiding the grains and the beans and the dairy and eat more like cavemen. Now, what is the case for and against this grains and beans debacle? Yeah. So, I mean, I write a lot about this. I, I jokingly called what I do a pegan diet, which is essentially paleo vegan. And it was kind of a joke because I was sitting on a panel with a friend of mine who was a cardiologist who was a, a v- extreme vegan and then another doctor who was a paleo doc and they were fighting. And I just thought this was silly. And then I began to sort of realize what are the common principles? In fact, they have more in common with each other than with traditional ways of eating. For example, they both agree that we should be eating a plant-rich diet. They both agree we should be eating lots of nuts and seeds. They both agree we should be eating lots of good fats. They both agree. I mean, there's some low-fat vegans, but they're far and few between. They, they both agree that we should not be eating dairy. They both agree that we should be eating foods that are sustainable and that, that restore the planet. They both agree we shouldn't be eating foods that are full of hormones, antibiotics, pesticides, GMO. They both agree we shouldn't be eating junk food and processed food. They both agree that we shouldn't be eating a high glycemic starch diet. So these are really common things that they're, they're agreeing on that are foundational principles for a healthy diet. And in fact, the only things they disagree on are meat, you know, animal foods and uh, grains and beans. And that's pretty much it. So when you look at that, you go, okay, well, well what, is, what does the science say about meat? What does the science say about grains and beans? And I think, you know, typically it depends on, you know, your own individual needs and your own individual requirements health-wise. For example, if you are, you know, obese, if you're diabetic, if you have significant gut issues, if you have autoimmune disease, you might not do well with grains and beans. But uh, if you're otherwise healthy and you can include them as part of your diet, as long as they're whole grains, not grain flours, even brown rice flour or quinoa flour, these are all turned into flour, which uh, is a very high glycemic and actually is a real problem for most people in the world, which has high levels of, 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 of sugar and uh, it actually turns to sugar. So I think it's really important for people to understand that we need to get people healthy by eating whole foods. And if they are already sick, we may need to sort of modify what we're doing. So I don't think there's any absolutes. I think gluten is potentially a problem for a lot of people, especially how we use it in this country, which is mostly as flour. Nobody's eating wheat berries. And I think that in itself is an issue that, that we're eating a lot of this 133 pounds of flour. I think we also, you know, are consuming very few other whole grains. Nobody's consuming a lot of quinoa or buckwheat or amaranth or black rice or brown rice. I mean, the people are eating mostly processed grains. And I think that that should not be part of our diet. I mean, as occasional treat maybe, but not as a staple. What about refined sugar? Well, you know, we're eating 152 pounds of sugar per person. We used to eat 50, 22 teaspoons a year. We might now eat 22 teaspoons a day of sugar. Whoa. Uh, and it's not hard to do if you have one... If you have one soda, I mean, the average kid has 35 teaspoons of sugar. If you have, you know, one 15-ounce soda, that's that's easily 15 teaspoons of sugar. You had a, a latte on there, which is a sweetened flavored latte. That's another equally amount of sugar. So you could quickly, with two drinks, get to your entire amount. And that's not counting everything else you're eating that's like sugar, like flour. So I think that's the problem. And I think sugar we know, and, it, you know, is meant to be used sort of as a treat. In fact, you know, we would get a honeycomb we would find, or we'd find some berries or something sweet, but not like it's not a staple in our diet. And what it's done is it, 
it drives insulin in the body, which then causes you to store fat, particularly belly fat, and gain weight. And it's really a, a huge driver of chronic disease. So we know that this insulin problem causes heart disease, cancer, diabetes, Alzheimer's, and, and much more. And so we, we really have to be aware that we don't want to eat a diet that raises our blood sugar, and sugar does that clearly. I think it's a shame that if on the surface, you know, even though, like I said before, there may not be any physical health degenerative signs, like you don't, you might not have asthma or you might not have eczema, which is, you know, usually the first start of inflammation in the body. And often it takes people getting to these really chronic stages before they listen up and look. And I don't want it to get to that place for people. It's, you know, these little things that we do each day. It's the gluten every day. It's the commercial dairy every day. It's the refined sugar every day that add up and add up and add up. And I just really want everyone listening to be mindful of what you're doing daily because it's the little things that you do each day that add up to big results or big consequences. Absolutely. I mean, it's a huge issue. And I think it's not the one little thing you have here or there. It's just the volume. I mean, the average American has about three quarters of a pound of flour and sugar every single day. Right? Those are pharmacologic doses. Wow. Wow. And for years, we were told not to eat cholesterol and avoid eggs at all costs. And that eating cholesterol was bad for your heart. But the latest government dietary guidelines overturned 35 years of dietary recommendations to cut fat and cholesterol. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> that is a great question. What happened was that we, we had a theory that was unchallenged, which is that dietary cholesterol causes heart disease because we know that cholesterol causes heart disease. So therefore, dietary cholesterol should cause heart disease. Well, it was never proven. And it was never studied carefully. And when it was studied, it was found to not be an issue. I think, you know, we, we have to just be very careful and look at the data and not base it on assumptions. We think cholesterol is terrible. But in fact, it may not be as the evil we thought it was in terms of causing heart disease. It's only when your cholesterol is oxidized or when it's damaged by the oxidation process that happens through inflammation. So that's really, really important to understand. It's not about the cholesterol itself. Right. Okay. So can you talk about the oxidization? Sure. The oxidation is a process that happens, which is basically the the rusting or rancid turning of your fat. So when your oil turns rancid, that's oxidation. When your apple turns brown in the air, that's oxidation. When your car rusts, that happens in your body. And that happens on the inside. On the outside, it's wrinkles. On the inside, it's basically damaging tissues and it damages the cholesterol, the LDL, when it's oxidized, that actually is what causes the heart disease. It's not cholesterol in itself. Right. Okay. So it's it's almost like when they go rancid, that's that's when it's bad. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why we want to not, you know, charcoal things on the barbecue and not fry our oils in the pan to an inch of their life. Is that correct? Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, that's really good to know because it blows my mind. Sometimes I will see in a restaurant or a cafe this whole egg white omelet thing and and people still very, very fearful of eggs. Oh my gosh, no, I can't eat them. Oh no, they're they're way too bad for you. But I've heard yeah. I've heard a lot of amazing doctors say that 
eggs are from pastured raised, pastured eggs, free range, that mm-hmm. they're nature's one of nature's most nutrient dense foods. They are. It's, it's what you have to give to a like a new life. That's all the nutrients you need to create a new life. So for sure, it's got all this brain stuff and good fats and antioxidants and lutein and carotenoid. I mean, it's very powerful, especially if it's you know not a factory farmed egg. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you have your own chickens in the backyard and you're feeding them all organic scraps and you know what they're eating, that's even better. But I've got a farmer that I I know what's gone into mine and it's all pastured raised and free range and they're really, really good quality. You can really taste the difference as well. I've also heard another doctor say eggs are nature's fertility food. And that's interesting. Yeah. In some ways, for sure. I mean, I think it's it's really about uh, the quality of the food. And if you're eating food that's very nutrient dense, it's providing you know nutrients for a new life, you're getting a lot of things that are going to help you know, you'd be more fertile for sure. And I want to talk about dairy for a minute because many years ago I went to a doctor and I was actually going for a routine pap smear because I don't have a regular doctor that I see. So I just went to this local one and had to fill out all the forms and kind of do that whole health history. And she said, is there anything you're allergic to or is there anything you avoid and things like that? And I said, oh, well, yeah, I, I avoid gluten and dairy and sugar and things like that. And she said, why would you avoid dairy? And I said, oh, well, you know, I went on to explain why. And she was like, well, where are you getting your calcium from? Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I said, oh, and she said, if I was you, I'm the profession. I'm- yeah, for sure. She said, I'm the professional here. And if I was you, I would not eliminate an entire food group. So can you talk to us about dairy? Give us the truth about dairy. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, the truth about dairy is that we believed forever that it was not something we should avoid at all, that we should be eating a lot of it and that we should be eating three glasses a day of milk. And the evidence just isn't there. I think if you really look carefully at the evidence, a lot of it's been propaganda from the, from the food industry. In fact, the Dairy Council partnered with the government to create these got milk ads, which made all kinds of false claims. And then the Federal Trade Commission, which is our governing body over over the airwaves, said this is not okay. You don't have the data to make these claims and you're making false claims about the benefits of milk. And they had them take off the ads from the from the television. So I, th- I think we really, <laughs> really kind of have to rethink our whole view here that we know from the data that that it may increase the risk of fractures, that it may not be the best source of calcium. It only has vitamin D because it's added to it. And that people drink skim milk, which actually may, may cause more hunger and obesity based on the data we have. So it's definitely not nature's perfect food. We know it may cause increased risk of cancer, causes increased risk of type 1 diabetes, autoimmune diseases. It's linked to asthma and allergies and gut issues and irritable bowel. And number one, cause of constipation in kids. It's a very significant issue. What are your thoughts, though, if you can get raw dairy from a trusted source? Well, I think if it's if it's goat or sheep, it has A2 casein. The trusted source is, is you know, it depends on what kind of cow it is, right? So it's not only if it's grass-fed. You know, if milk, for example, they, they milk organic cows and they, they, they have tons of hormones in them. You know, if you look at the effect of, of the hybridization process, we've taken out all the A2 casein from cow's milk and now it's all a1 casein which is much more inflammatory 
much more likely to cause disease and gut issues. For example, a two casein is much better tolerated. That comes from goat and sheep. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So goat and sheep would be a more desirable choice than cow. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Have you noticed in your practice, people who may have an intolerance to cow can handle goat and sheep a bit better? Or what have you noticed? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I can't drink dairy at all. And I tried some goat milk and it didn't bother my gut. It didn't cause any skin issues, which it does for me. So it's a pretty amazing. Very interesting. Super interesting. And what about allergies and asthma? I think people do better with goat and sheep milk. Now, some people are reacted to that as well, but it's, it's really worth making sure that, you know, people try out themselves and see how it feels. But there's no need for dairy. I mean, we're the only species other than humans are the only species that drink milk after weaning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. Now, I'd love to hear your thoughts. We've covered a lot. We've covered, you know, vegetables. We've covered meat. We've covered dairy. We've covered cholesterol, sugar. What are your thoughts on organic versus non-organic? Like I said before, I am definitely a qualitarian and it's something that I will never skimp on. It's like I, you know, if an organic avocado costs this much, and a non-organic one doesn't, like I'm always going to go for the organic because I just, if I have the choice and I can, I'm going to. So what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think absolutely. You know, we, we, I'm on the Environmental Working Group's board and we identify where are the most contaminated foods, what are the best, both in terms of fish, meat, and also produce. And, you know, we know there's a a lot of the foods we're eating are highly contaminated. For example, strawberries that are not organic have huge amounts of pesticides on them. They're the number one most contaminated. And there's others that may not be so bad that you can eat that are not organic. So I think it's really important for people to understand it's really okay. In some cases, not eat organic, but for most part, we really, we really do need to. So they can look at, in your book, you've got like that dirty dozen and that clean 15. So we can look at which ones are the most contaminated and definitely buy those organic or chemical-free, and then the other ones, you know, if you can't, they're okay. Yes, absolutely. I've also found one of the best things that everyone listening can do is go to your local farmer's markets. I know at my local farmer's market, there is an organic store, and then next to it, there's also just a chemical and pesticide-free store. So if you don't want to buy all organic or if you, you can't get your head around it, then even getting spray-free, chemical-free, pesticide-free is much better than going into the supermarket and getting these chemical-laden fruits and vegetables that you are literally ingesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or even better, grow your own produce. Mm -hmm. That's an option. (laughs) People can do it. I mean, there's all sorts of ways to do that these days. Yeah, absolutely. If I had a big backyard, I would be doing it for sure. So, Mark, is there anything else we're missing? Like for people listening and they want to get started, they want to start making some subtle shifts besides reading your book, which we'll link to in the show notes and everyone can go and grab because it's such an amazing resource. And I think it's a book that every single human being needs to read. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you want to mention, I really 
want people to be armed with all of the knowledge so that they can go out there and start making the best and healthiest choices for themselves and their family. You know, I think it's important for people to realize that it's not that complicated, that, you know, there are so many competing camps out there, vegan, paleo, keto, low fat, high fat, low carb, high carb. I mean, there's so many different approaches to eating. And when you sort of pair out all the sort of the noise, you look at what are the principles of eating healthy that everybody should be aware of that everybody pretty much agrees on. And then within that, there's a fair bit of flexibility. And I think there, you know, I talk about the 12 principles of a pecan diet. Essentially, they're they're things I mentioned before. It's eating a plant-rich diet. Not necessarily plant-based, but 50 to 70% of your plate should be vegetables. So tonight, I'm having some grass-fed ribeye steak, not a big portion, a small portion. I'm having roasted mushrooms. I'm having snap peas, and we're having fresh zucchini for the summer. So I'm having like three vegetable dishes with a little protein as a side dish. And I think that's really what we should be focused on. And for lunch, for example, I had a watercress salad with fresh summer tomatoes because it's summer here, avocados. I had watermelon radishes. I throw some pumpkin seeds on there and olive oil, vinegar, salt, and pepper. Delicious, amazing lunch. So it doesn't have to be super complicated, but we should be eating, you know, at least, you know, they say five to seven, five to nine servings. I think we should be eating probably up to 10 cups of vegetables a day, which is a lot. But I, I, I like to see people eat more which is, you know, almost twice as much as, as nine servings, right? It's a half a cup per serving. People are, sh- should know that we're, fats are not bad, that we need good quality fats in our diet, olive oil, avocado oil, nuts and seeds, uh, that we need even grass-fed ghee can be okay. We need coconut oil. All those are fine to eat. We need to also realize that we should be eating good quality nuts and seeds as, as a good part of our diet because there's tons of evidence that they help prevent disease. We should be eating a low glycemic diet, which is low in starch and sugar. We should be eating a diet that's avoiding non-food substances that are, you know, three to five pounds of chemicals we eat every year in our food, including additives and pesticides and artificial sweeteners. These are these are not benign substances. So if we're eating animal foods, we should eat foods that are, are sustainably raised or regeneratively raised, that we should be harvesting fish in ways that are sustainable and growing fish in fish farms that are environmentally sound as well as, you know, promote healthy fish as opposed to not. We should be eating foods that are are just generally real whole food that are, are very f- few steps from the field to the fork. These are just simple principles that everybody really can follow that are going to make a huge difference into in terms of what they're doing. And the pegan concept was just, it's kind of a joke. It was just to sit down, what are the what are the principles of healthy eating across the spectrum of all diets? Yeah, I love the concept of the pegan diet. I thought it was hilarious when I first heard of it. It's such a great concept because, yeah, there's there's a lot of debate, but there also are a lot of similarities. And I totally agree. You know, we're all saying eat more vegetables. Absolutely. We need to make sure, you know, a majority of our plate is just covered in the rainbow colors of vegetables, that's where we're getting so much of our nutrients. And if they can be chemical and pesticide free, even better. So I love that. Thank you for coming up with that term and and shining some light on the dairy, the sugar, the grains and the gluten, the cholesterol, the fats, the nuts and seeds. You know, we've covered a lot and everything is in your book, which I highly recommend everyone getting. But before we wrap up, I would love to turn the spotlight on you a little bit now. And I'd love to hear what's something that you're working on or would like to improve within yourself at the moment. 
Well, I'm, I'm sort of pushing the edges always. I'm working on optimizing my health through various techniques that I'm using, including ozone and intravenous nutrients like glutathione and NAD and increasing my exercise routine in a certain way to help me get fitter, stronger, a lot of yoga. And I think I'm I'm working on, you know, really continuing to sort of eat a very whole foods diet that I'm doing. And it's, I, I, I'm always sort of tweaking things, but just focusing on sticking to eating a lot of vegetables, nuts <laughs> and seeds and whole foods. And that really helps me. So I, I, you know, it's just really a lot of the same things I've been doing, but some of the other stuff is kind of fun and different. Mm, awesome. Now let's pretend that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now, besides all of your books, let's presume they're already in the curriculum because they absolutely should be. What is one other book that you would choose? Around health and nutrition. Oh, anything. It could be absolutely any book that you just think every high school student needs to read. Great question. Well, I think one that influenced me and that you know speaks to a lot of these themes that really shaped my thinking about our place in the world and nature and health was Walden on Walden Pond by Henry Thoreau, which was his experiment of living simply by a lake in Massachusetts. And it was a, it's a very beautifully written, powerful, powerful book that sort of speaks to a lot of the issues we have today. Is it fiction or not? No, no, it's not fiction. No, no, no. It's a, oh, wow. it's a journal that he kept during his two years of living simply. Beautiful. And it's just full of beautiful prose and great ideas. And yeah. Awesome. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. Now let's talk about how your day looks and in particular your morning routine. Do you have a morning routine? And if so, can you share it with us? Well, I travel a lot, but I, I do I do wake up and usually meditate for 20 minutes and I do that twice a day. I will typically have either do intermittent fasting if I don't know where I'm gonna be able to get my breakfast and have coffee. Well not I would say I have bulletproof maybe, you know few times a month, but otherwise I'll have sort of eggs and avocados and tomatoes with olive oil. I call it my fat breakfast. I sometimes do a shake, but no, not so, not so much these days. I think that's sort of, you know, my morning routine. And then I, you know, get in the day. I sometimes sit and have coffee with my wife and just talk, which is nice. So it's a little sort of chill morning. And then throughout the day, I, you know, I, I do work and I, but I also take time and like today, for example, I had, you know, work in the morning a little bit with calls and some paperwork, but I played tennis for an hour, had a nice little lunch uh, break, and then work, been working this afternoon. We'll, you know, basically tonight we'll have some nice dinner, maybe play some more tennis with my wife and, you know, do a little putzing around the house and read a book and go to bed. Mm, beautiful. And what are three things you're most recently grateful for in your life? I'm grateful for my wife. I'm grateful for my kids. I'm grateful for being able to do the work I do in the world and have fun and be happy in it. Beautiful. All right. Now I've got three rapid fire questions for you. Mm. In your opinion, what is one of the most important things that we can do today for our health? Just one thing that people can do today. I think if you could choose for a week to eat only real food, it would be radically transformational. Absolutely. Even just starting with today, just start with one day, start right now. I think that's such a powerful thing to do. All right. The next one is what is one of the most important things that we can do for more wealth in our life? That's how you define wealth. 
<laughs> I think the biggest wealth is health. Without that, you have nothing. I take care of you know people f- from all different socioeconomic groups, but including billionaires, and they don't have health. They have nothing. And I think that's the most important thing you can do is is invest in your health. We often neglect it until it's too late, and then it's often you know beyond the point of no return. Absolutely. If you don't have your health, you can't get up out of bed in the morning and do the things that you want to do and serve the people you want to serve and and love the people you want to love. Exactly. That's exactly what I say. That's great. And finally, what is one of the most important things that we can do for more love in our life? I think the most important thing you can do for more love is to give love. Instead of looking for love, that's our mistake. Show up and be love and then love will come. Mm, absolutely. Now, is there anything else that you want to share with us? Any last nuggets of wisdom? Anything that we haven't covered so far? No, I think we've covered a big spectrum here. I think, you know, the question I think most people don't think about is not only the impact of food on their health, but on everything that matters to us. What you put on your fork impacts obviously your health and well being, but impacts climate, impacts environment and environmental destruction or preservation it impacts our economy it impacts social justice it impacts education it impacts national security it impacts pretty much everything that we care about in a big way and most people don't realize that mm. yeah it sure does it really does it's not just your health it's impacting the the world the environment everything mm-hmm. every every choice we make matters yeah absolutely Now, I've got one more question for you. I'm a massive believer in service, and I want to know what I personally and the listeners today can do to serve you. How can we serve you today? Serve me? I don't really need to be served, but I think by being conscious about what you're doing in terms of food and what you're choosing will have an impact across the whole food system. And I think that's really an important, empowering thing that we have, that we can do something about. Most problems in the world like war and natural disasters it's hard for the individual to do something about but we all eat every day uh, multiple times and the choices we make have an impact on everything and so i think in terms of service and service of humanity by focusing on the choices you make that bring life and health and wellness as opposed to bring death and destruction is is really an important and and honestly a you know a powerful responsibility that we all have Absolutely. And it all starts with with us, with with us making these conscious choices and decisions. It starts with us in our own home. And when we stand up, when we make these powerful choices, it ripples out into every area of our life and all of our relationships and we inspire those around us. Absolutely. Well, Mark, thank you so much for writing this book, Food, What the Heck Should I Eat? It's a great book. I've got it here in front of me. Thank you so much for writing it and pouring so much love into it and for sharing on the show with us today. I really hope that everyone listening has a bit of a better understanding of what to eat and the next steps for them. So thank you so much for being here and for sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge with us today. Of course, my pleasure. I really do hope that you guys are a little less confused about what to eat. And I want to encourage you guys to grab Mark's book. It's amazing. Food, what the heck should I eat? I'll link to it in the show notes. 
And I hope you got a lot out of today's episode. And if you did, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And don't forget to tell me on social media, either on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, who you would like me to have on the show. And for everything that Mark and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that is over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 137. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. Another thing I wanted to mention before I go is that if you haven't got my latest book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex, do yourself a favor and head on over to melissarambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy now. And whilst you're there, you can get access to my free open wide video masterclass that Nick and I created just for you. And did I mention it's free? There you go. It's for you for free. So make sure you check it out. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, head on over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best and healthiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you. You seriously rock. I don't think you guys understand how much I love and appreciate you listening every single week, twice a week. I am so grateful. You are my kind of people because you are people that want to be the best version of you. You want to grow and you want to evolve. And I love people like you. So if there is someone else in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you have got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.